Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I remember I was at home about to have dinner and the... CEO, the boss of the SETI Institute, called me up at home and he said, Seth, I think I ought to get down here to the office. And I, you know, I thought he was going to fire me. So I, you know, hopped in the car, came down here, and uh, all my colleagues were sitting around looking at computers because we picked up a signal that looked like it was the real deal. So for 24 hours, we thought maybe we had found ET. My reaction was to be very, very nervous. I couldn't sit down. Honestly, couldn't. I brought my camera with me, and I was taking a few pictures of people sitting in front of the computer. But otherwise, you know, I, there was nothing I could do. We were just looking at this thing. And I, I was thinking, gosh, I've got a dinner tomorrow night, and then, oh, next week I've got a luncheon meeting with somebody. You know, that's what I was thinking about. It's really nutty. If we had found the aliens, my first concern was, what about all the, you know, disruption that's going to make to my agenda? Welcome back to Where's My Jetpack. Back in the 1960s, we were promised everything from jetpacks to flying cars and holidays in space. But here we are in the 21st century with not a jetpack in sight. So what happened to our space age dreams? I'm Sarah Credis. And I'm Luke Moore. And each episode, we'll be taking you on a mission to find out by exploring a different futuristic promise that never was to find out if it was all just science fiction or if these great discoveries are either just around the corner or lurking in unexpected places. This is episode nine, Where's My Intergalactic Neighbor? This is the big one. This is the most profound question of all time. It really is. Yeah. Are we alone in the universe? Is there something else out there? Something that humanity has pondered for pretty much as long as we've existed and in this series, we talked a lot about inventions, but this is more of a discovery, and that discovery is aliens. Absolutely. You're right to say that it has really fascinated human beings ever since they've been capable of thinking about this kind of thing, and maybe even before that, because what has preoccupied human beings before we were equipped to look up at the night sky is probably what are the people in that other country like, because we've got no contact with them. And it's all been about the unknown and about are these people similar to us? are they going to be have the same sensibilities as us and feel like we do about things? And then when you turn that outwards and look up to the night sky, you start thinking, well, and, and from my point of view, I start thinking, well, I'm being told all the time the universe is unimaginably big, right? Um, it really is. Yeah, it's like you can't even get your mind around how big it is. So surely just by the nature of, of, of high numbers, the law of averages, we're going to find something or there's going to be something out there. But... Um, the first thing, the first example I remember of this type of stuff, because I was fascinated by this when I was 
a teenager. Did you used to get those magazines and it'd come with like a, a free toy and then it'd be really cheap, the first magazine, and then they'd become really expensive? Yeah. Because I, I used to get one about Area 51 and right. you'd get a magazine and it was a series and you, you'd tell a story. Yeah, and I, yeah. um, you know, sorry to interrupt your story, but I was fascinated. Obviously, I've been fascinated with space, but yeah. aliens. Yeah, for sure. Area 51, come M- on. Mine was massively associated around the X-Files. Oh, yes, Mulder and Scully. Yeah, yeah. there was two hardback collector's kind of almost annuals you could get. One had a silver cover, the other had a black cover. And interestingly enough, for those trivia fans, they were actually written by Jane Goldman, who is Jonathan Ross's wife, who also wrote, I think, I want to say, Kick-Ass, maybe? A really big um, Hollywood... She's a Hollywood writer now. And they were all about that kind of stuff, and it was fascinating. Now, of course, they weren't talking about, oh, yeah, there are other... Uh, extraterrestrial species out there but they're tiny little microorganisms because obviously that's not going to interest a teenager who, who wants to know about aliens but it should do as a scientist I say it should do sure yeah we'll come on to that <laughs> the, I was going to say actually the first thing I was going to say was the first example I can ever remember or think of was Roswell in the 1940s yep. where that was a huge I know it's subsequently been proven to be this that and the other but it's a huge discussion point around the idea of quote unquote aliens right I've got two facts for you. We'll go with um, number one, the X-Files. Did you know that there was a huge uptake in UFO sightings when the X-Files came out? Makes sense. Yeah, yeah. makes sense. And the second one is Roswell. So there's a, it has been debunked a lot, but um, mm. a show I was working on in the US a couple of years ago, we went to a site in Phoenix, Arizona, and there are some people who have put forward the idea that actually Roswell was a cover-up for another UFO crash landing oh, in Phoenix, deep Arizona. Stuff. So it gets deep. Yeah. But let's um, start by delving into the past to where it all began. Do you think there's life on other planets? Oh, I don't know. Would you like to think about it for a second? Oh, not really. The idea of an interplanetary neighbour isn't anything new. From the ancient Greeks to the 18th century author Voltaire, our ancestors wondered about life beyond Earth. What sort of life do you see up there? Uh, a vegetable. <laughs> Later, as we took to the skies, the possibilities of space travel edged closer. Some began to make bold predictions about what we might find. Next came UFOs. It was standing up there, still. Colours coming out of it. And perhaps with a little help from our imagination, more and more people started reporting unidentified flying objects. Last October in the quiet Mississippi town of Pascagoula, two local men confronted authorities with a rather bizarre story. Charles Hickson and Calvin Parker told of a strange craft landing near their fishing site and of being taken aboard by three unearthly creatures. Even scientists were talking about aliens. In 1979, when the two Voyager spacecraft launched on a mission to explore the outer planets of our solar system, each carried a golden record with music, sounds and messages from Earth, just in case an extraterrestrial ever came across them. I'm glad to be joined by my science and technology advisor, Dr. Jack Gibbons, to make a few comments about today's announcement by NASA. Then, for a short time in 1996, scientists thought they had found life on Mars. First, I have asked Administrator Golden to ensure that this finding is subject to a methodical process of further peer review and validation. But it wasn't to be. And today, we are still no closer to finding out the truth. Now, I think when we talk about UFOs, life beyond Earth, perhaps um, in our solar system or even beyond, it's often easy to get dismissed. And sometimes there's 
what I like to call embarrassment of riches because people see something they can't explain mm. in the night sky and they go, aliens. It, yeah, it was exactly. definitely aliens. Yeah. And actually, you know, we, we know so little about our world that often it can be explained away by science. But this is a really serious thing. This is... Um, You've got one section of society who, who believe that aliens might have visited Earth in the past and then scientists seriously trying to, you know, a very methodological and, and scientific approach to answering the question, are we alone? So it's something which crosses over a lot of different interests and disciplines and it's something that, particularly in the last 150 years, um, since what I like to call the great imaginers, so at the mm. turn of the um, 19th century into the early 20th century, where we saw people just imagining aliens on Mars, um, mm. Orson Welles, War of the Worlds, when it was played out on the radio, mm. people actually thought mm. they were being attacked by aliens. Mm. This is, you know, in the early part of the um, 1900s. And and so this is this fascinating thing that we, we want to believe, but do we have the evidence? And it's more a case of ruling out a lot of sightings that we've had mm. in the past and looking for credible evidence than saying everything could be aliens. Yeah, and I think obviously an unidentified flying object or as this supposed to be referred to now unexplained aerial phenomena yep. UAPs literally just means something unidentified right yep. and there's a big difference between something out there that you can't explain for whatever reason and being visited by an intelligent civilization from elsewhere in the universe because that's obviously a far more greater claim but you're right to say or to allude to the fact that people have been obsessed with this for a long time as we mentioned at the start because it makes perfect sense I mean people are always want to find out more and know more and, and want to imagine the possibilities I, I do think something you, you mentioned earlier, which is interesting, when the X-Files happened, these sightings kind of went up. I do, I do another show called The Luke and Pete Show, and we asked people to... That's a nice plug there. Yeah. <laughs> <And> we, <laughs> we, we tune in. Well, we asked people to say, have you ever experienced this? And, and pretty much every single story um, started with, one night I was on the way back from the pub. Yes. <laughs> See, was I was going to ask you this. Have you ever seen anything you I don't think explain? so. I think, I think I've seen... I've definitely seen things up in the sky where I've been like, well, that's weird, like some weird lights or... Or, or something on the horizon. But but what I'm more interested in is the idea that actually this is a really pertinent time to be making this episode because we've just seen in the US the government release all these different files. We're hearing time and time again from all these Air Force pilots and, and people like that. That to me is an interesting development uh, to, to our relationship with a potential extraterrestrial life because, again, these things are completely unexplained by otherwise reliable witnesses. I mean, that's very true. I've done um, quite a few shows in the US and in the UK looking at aliens, which is someone from my background can be slightly controversial to do. But mm. where I've actually spoken to a lot of people involved in the Nimitz incident, that was the one with the Tic Tac. And yeah. one thing which came across interviewing these people is that they are credible witnesses. Because you, you mentioned how you've got the the drunk person coming home from the pub, oh, yeah, perhaps yeah. had a few, a few too many pints and they see something they can't explain. But when you've got military personnel and, and you interview them mm. and you go to their house and they're, they're moved to tears. Yeah. Um, and when I was filming Contact, one of the people we interviewed for one of the earlier episodes um, who was the, the radar operator for the Nimitz, which observed this tic-tac um, and later the US Department of Defense actually released these videos, he couldn't explain what he saw. These, these are credible witnesses and these aren't people saying, oh yes, these are aliens. People aren't saying that, but what they are saying is what we've observed defies the laws of physics as we understand it and we can't explain what it is, whether mm. that's alien technology in the sense that it's an enemy technology, whether mm. it's just a glitch with the system, with mm. the, the planes they're in, with the, the radar observation, we don't know. But it's something that people can't explain and we've seen that throughout history, unexplained sightings, but they always related to objects at the time. So um, the ancient Greeks or the Egyptians would say they saw flames or chariots in the sky. Right, okay. okay. And then have you ever seen the planet Venus? 
Uh, have I seen it as yeah, it's through, it, through it, a telescope? No, yeah, or in the night sky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's this really bright starlight object. Yeah. And because it's a planet, it doesn't twinkle because it's not a single source of light. So it's it's like doesn't get distorted in the atmosphere like stars do because stars are very far away. Yeah. Kind of like the, um, what was that scene? Father Ted, where he's got these yeah, clouds yeah. are far Perspective. away. Perspective, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so often people mistake Venus um, for a UFO because they see this bright starlight right. object in the night sky. So things can be explained away. But throughout history, we have had more and more sightings. And is it because... We're looking up more. We're, we're, you know, we're more curious about what else is out there. And I remember the, well, I don't remember it, but back in the 19, um, 1940s, I think it was the first ever flying saucer sighting. And it was this private pilot who was flying um, in, um, what's the name of the mountain? It is Mount Rainier in, in Washington State, which is this big, um, yeah. I think it's a, it used to be a volcano a long, long yeah, time ago. Right. And he was flying near here and near there. And he, he saw this saucer, what he described as a saucer-shaped object, and yeah. then it, um, the media kind of coined that term. So the media kind of goes hand in hand. Uh, and then that informs the future side. Yes, because People it does. get suggested about it. And right? then they say, stuff. I saw a flying saucer. And then they say, oh, oh, the other one is, have you heard of lenticular clouds? No. So these are flying saucer-shaped clouds which develop at the Lee of Mountains. And often in the past, we've had a lot of UFO sightings. Yeah. But they've actually just been lenticular clouds. It's absolutely fascinating to me that these have been reported in, by the Greeks and the Romans and they've been reported in ways that they culturally understand because they wouldn't be able to imagine a, a space shuttle or a space... They, yeah. So they, they relate it to stuff, stuff they directly have experience of. That kind of changes the game for me a little bit because it makes me think that this is something that's always been present because if 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 you take human existence and, and say that, you know, I don't know, for, for want of a argument or, or a debate, you say that human developed human existence goes back, I don't know, 5,000 years, right? Then actually that's a blink of an eye in, in astronomical terms. Yep. So if if there was a clearly technologically developed civilization that visited Earth, they wouldn't be visiting Earth using technology that we discovered. It would be some stuff they've discovered by definition. So then would the Greeks and the Romans be able to describe it? You'd think they would be able to describe it. The fact they're describing it only using language they understand makes it think makes me think that it is just people being suggested things and it's almost some kind of mass hypnosis or something. It's interesting. We don't know and I think it's that, you know, just it almost goes back to faith in, in some parts because it's it's saying we can't explain something. This is what it might be. But yeah. if you were to take um all of the universe and condense it down to the size of all of the oceans on Earth. Yeah. And you were to take a thimble yeah. and fill that thimble up with water. That's how much of space we had searched. Right. Okay. Just a thimbleful. And yeah. now, as we're moving forward into the present, that's moving from a thimbleful to maybe a pint-sized glass. So yeah. if we look now to where we are right now, we've come a lot, lot further, but there's still a long way to go. We are born explorers. We just have this desire and drive to explore everything out there. We now understand that for almost every single star you can see when you look up at the night sky, there is at least one planet orbiting around it. Every star in the sky is the sun. And if our sun has planets, surely the other stars should have planets also. And they do. We think there are upwards of hundreds of billions of planets in our galaxy alone. Our universe is teeming with other worlds. The deeper we look, the more we find. Not just stars in their billions, but orbiting around them, planets as well. New worlds emerging from the dark in far greater numbers than expected. What's more, we know there are several candidates for life within our own solar system. Right on our doorstep, not just other planets like Mars and Venus, but moons as well, such as Europa, Titan and Enceladus. Europa, a moon of Jupiter sitting well outside of the Goldilocks zone, is kept warm. 
not from energy sources traceable to the sun, but from what we call the tidal forces of Jupiter itself. So Jupiter and surrounding moons are actually pumping energy into Europa. While on Earth, scientists are currently studying extreme environments to see how life can exist in places we previously thought would be impossible. It doesn't even look real. It is not life as we know or understand it. Such as hydrothermal vents at the bottom of the Pacific Ocean, where living organisms known as extremophiles have been observed. The current model is follow the water. Where there's water, there could be life. We need liquid water. So you can establish this green zone, this habitable zone, this Goldilocks zone, where if you find a planet orbiting there, hey, good chance it could have liquid water. We still don't have any proof that alien life exists. So as the physicist Enrico Fermi said when citing his famous paradox, where is everybody? Where is everyone? Yeah, it's, this is fascinating. And I think, you know, you, you, I think it's time for this episode to move into these to, to, the, to the present and these three strands. One is unexplained aerial phenomena we can't explain. Fine, that's one yep. thing. Um, life elsewhere and intelligent life elsewhere. Okay. And those Define things. Define intelligence. Well, well, true, but those, I think you can make a distinction to everyone listening that the idea that if you find bacterial life or microbiological life somewhere else in, the, in say just in the solar system of course that has huge ramifications for science but it's not what people imagine it's not what people kind of get fascinated by as much as we're being visited by another intelligent race i'm just saying it's, it's helpful to separate these things out and for me in all those things that we just heard there the the increasing capability of observing exoplanets so consistently now to me feels like the absolute game changer i don't know what you think yeah, so exoplanets are um, planets which orbit around other stars. And, you know, I just love the notion that you could go outside tonight, you could look up at the night sky and all those stars twinkling. And one of those stars that you're looking at, there could be someone or something looking up from a planet orbiting that star, seeing mm. our sun as a star in their night yeah. sky and wondering yeah. if we're all alone. It's very, it's very romantic. There's something very romantic about that. Unfortunately, I suppose the idea of the exoplanet and the, and the drawback to that is the distances involved are still pretty vast, right? Yeah, and it's um, we, we shouldn't get fixated on planets either. So right. um, if, if we take it back to the, the first part, which is extremophiles and very simple life. So we, yeah. we've learned that um, life can survive and thrive in really extreme parts of our planet. You mm. look at the Marianas Trench and, mm. and the depths of the ocean, mm. and we've discovered alien-type fish that can exist there. We didn't think life could survive there. Mm -hmm. uh, especially with the crushing pressures. And then, then we go to the Antarctic or, or to, to deserts and we find life in these extreme places. And then we know um, that other places in our solar system, so even Venus, for example, a place which was inhospitable. We, we, we crush you within seconds if you landed there, these choking thick clouds. There is some development. It's quite controversial at the moment in science, but there could be very simple life in Venus, uh, in, in the clouds. In the clouds above Venus, yeah, yeah I read about yeah. that, yeah. And it is being debated at the moment, as it should be in science. And then for me, the most fascinating place is Europa. So Europa is this icy moon of Jupiter. And we need three ingredients for life. We need um, stuff, raw materials. Yeah. We need um, water. Mm -hmm. um, and then we need an energy source. And with Europa, the energy source comes from this tidal forces of... Is it Jupiter literally compressing and expanding Europa with its own gravity because it's so big? And that's what's keeping Europa warm. It's to do with the orbit and like the tidal forces. But right. that, that is, you know... So it gets this energy, and what we think, or the, the current thinking is, is that beneath this icy surface, mm -hmm. because the surface has been moving about this fractures in the surface, mm. we think there is a liquid ocean underneath, underneath it. Yeah. Okay. And then there could be 
alien life there. And that's on a moon. So, mm. we, you know, and we've, we've got this thing called brown dwarfs, which are basically like you know, either big Jupiters or very tiny stars and they exist in our solar system. We think life could potentially be on brown dwarfs elsewhere within the universe. So say we found life on Europa, that's a moon within our solar yeah. system, and we could find life on Mars, although we talked about it in the past, you know, life on Mars could have been, could have seeded life on Earth. But say we find life in one of these places, um, you know, Enceladus is another moon, another icy moon with a possible liquid notion which orbits around the planet um, Saturn. So we found life there. And even if it's simple life, we can just extrapolate that. And mm. we know that we now have one average solar system. We've got a very average sun. We're all very average, even though the Earth's beautiful. If we know there's life elsewhere, even if it's simple life, simple fish life, that increases the chances dramatically of there being intelligent life. So I, I get your point, Luke, that, you know, it's not as exciting finding mm. potentially an alien fish on Europa or something very simple. But it, it increases the chances. It increases the possibility. And that, to me is what's so exciting. And then the, the second part is um, SETI and, and actually searching because at the same time, we're looking for exoplanets. We're studying Earth. We're studying life on Earth because that helps us understand more about how life can exist elsewhere because the mm. only sample of life we have it's is here. one. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's yeah. all of us. Um, but SETI is actually looking for signals, trying to detect signals in space. And I have to be clear here, there's actually, you know, we mentioned the UN... The UN Department of Outer Space Affairs, yeah. they actually have regulation in place about sending signals right. just in case the aliens are bad people we don't right. know yet. Yeah. But SETI is actually expanding his search. And, and one person who can talk about this really well is um, Bill Diamond. He's a good friend of mine and he is the CEO of SETI. More telescopes are being used for this endeavor. More radio telescope assets are being used. Other methods are being deployed. So we're now also looking not only for radio signals, but things like laser pulses. Now that we understand that lasers have also the ability to be um, seen from great distances, um, lasers on Earth are uh, being considered for use in things like propulsion uh, technology. They're used in high energy physics. And if they were to shine you know, the, a laser right up the road from us at the Lawrence Livermore Laboratory, if you took a, a telescope mirror and reflected that beam into space, it would be 10,000 times brighter than the sun. You know, the more parts of the sky we can look at, the more we can look 24 hours a day, seven days a week, the more different types of phenomena we can look for, um, you know, obviously the better off our, our, our chances are uh, for, for our discovery. Yeah, I think the paradox is clear. To me, it's fascinating because we talk about UAPs and the fact that people have been witnessing this stuff. But then we also talk or we hear from someone like that who is clearly one of the world experts in this area and all you hear about is the distances involved, the vastness of space, the time it would take to get in. And those two things don't quite add up, right? It's clearly very unlikely that we've been visited, right? We don't know. Because we're but only basic. We're only basic. Well, if I thought anything, it would be faith, because I can only go on the evidence yeah. we've got. Um, That's a real scientist answer. Yeah, really, what, do, what do you think then? <laughs> like, I, I, think, I think, you know, I think it was Arthur C. Clarke who said, we're either alone in the universe or we're not. And either outcome is terrifying. Right? Yes, I completely agree with that. I'm completely open-minded to the idea, and I think it would because of the because of the sheer size of the universe. Clearly, there's there's. I don't personally think there's anything necessarily special about us, but I just think that I sometimes think of just the the solar system, for example, as just a house. And if you get outside the solar system, you're only really stepping on the doorstep. Yeah, right? that's a great analogy. And that's it. And 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 the garden is about five million acres large. And you're never in our lifetime, you're never really going to get there. So in some ways, of course, you need to be doing um, what we heard there in the clip and looking at as much stuff as we can and increasing that symbol size to a pint glass or whatever it was the analogy you used. 
but it's still very, very tough to imagine we're going to get lucky in that way. We just never know. It could be tomorrow. It could be 100 years from now. But um, what, or it could be a million years. We, we don't yeah. know right now in terms of intelligent civilization. But say we were to have a, a SETI, a credible, verified SETI signal, which yeah. was confirmed as from an intelligent civilization. Yeah. First of all, there'd have to be protocol in place because who represents Earth? Yeah. Wh- which country would make that signal and then say the message? Yeah. Like, that, yeah. that, that would take a long time. Yeah. And then the communication, because of the vastness of space and the limit of our current technologies, to say we were using sending radio signals, it could take 100 years to get there and then 100 years to send a signal back. And it'd actually be, we think of aliens coming and visiting in the, in the Hollywood movie, but it'd actually be more comparable to archaeology. Yeah. So we'd be telling them about us right now, but it'd be our past by the time they got it. And well, then exactly. The signal. If, they, if, they, if they are 75 million light years away and they're yeah. observing they're, us. They're a local neighbour though. Yeah, they're observing <laughs> the dinosaurs. Because they're getting light from 75 million years ago. Yeah. They're not, they're not observing us. It takes so long for the... That's what I mean. The distances are absolutely incredible. And one really interesting development as well, I mean, we mentioned exoplanets earlier, but one kind of more recent development, which I found fascinating, was uh, Oumuamua, which was this, um, this non-solar system originated foreign body, which travelled kind of fairly close to Earth and came through our solar system. And it was interesting because of the shape. It was a very long, flat shape. It was cigar-shaped. Cigar-shaped, yeah. And it was, um, it was you know, very rare for something that doesn't actually exist or originate in our solar system to come through. And there have been um, astrophysicists and scientists who have suggested, like Avi Loeb, for example, who I know he's quite a controversial character. And you've character. interviewed him. We both interviewed him, yeah, actually. Yeah, I have yeah. interviewed him before. And he said for something different. And he said that, you know, it could be... We should be monitoring this 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 foreign body because it could it should be scanned for radio signals. It could be a foreign uh, intelligent life being created because he he thinks that actually the first extraterrestrial thing we'll see is overwhelmingly likely to be mechanical or yeah. robotic in nature. Well, because we send robots out into the universe and they last but, a lot longer. Yeah, why would it automatically be organic? Exactly. It doesn't make any sense. But what's interesting about Oumuamua is that it is cigar shaped, and we expected extrasolar objects, objects which come from beyond our solar system be spherical mm. or at least roughly spherical mm. so it surprised scientists by its shape and so this hypothesis that it could be potentially aliens or an alien spacecraft a robotic spacecraft and mm. it's not beyond the realms of possibility it's unlikely mm. but it's not beyond the realms of possibility it was scanned for radio signals and not for a while as it came past through but nothing came back but, but would that be how they communicate i don't know again we're using you've got to try you can only <laughs> use the tools you've got the other disposal, i suppose and, and just to be clear it came very close to us but in in cosmic terms in cosmic terms it, it came very close but actually in, in human terms it was still quite far away yeah but it's that you know it's just your imagination is kind of no longer the limit when it comes mm. to stuff like that so you think do you think that presently then we are objectively closer to discovering anything that may be out there than we have been at any time in the past? Or is that, or is it not currently being funded that well? Or is it not something that's being looked at in, in too much detail? There's a, a lot of funding in some areas. So certainly into exoplanets. That's a really exciting area in science, looking for planets elsewhere and discovering all these crazy worlds. And we'll get that onto that in our, our next and final episode in the series. Um, but in terms of SETI searches, um, there's um, funding from private individuals as well. Yeah. So there's a Russian billionaire called Yuri Milner who's funding private SETI searches. Right. Um, he's looking at potentially a private space mission to Enceladus, which is the icy moon of, of Saturn. There's also um, missions by um, NASA and ESA to eventually go to um, Europa and, and mm. look for, for life on Europa, potential life. But it's that... To again quote Carl Sagan, it's extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence, and we just haven't got the evidence just yet. And we are going to, you know, that kind of false start where we thought there might be life on Mars in the 1990s. We need to have proof, we need to have extraordinary evidence because. 
this claim and, and this thing to say we are not alone, it, it changes everything and it will have huge impacts on society. Look, it's clear it's a really, really exciting area. And I think, as we've already said, the most exciting area in science, in my opinion. And it's society. Just so, it's just so exciting for all of society for loads of different reasons. So it's definitely, definitely something worth kind of paying attention to. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It is no longer a case of if, but when we will answer the question, are we alone? Point source confirmed. Whatever it is, it ain't local. Position? I checked into parometry somewhere in Lyra, I think. Uh, Vega? Yeah, babe. It's only 26 light years away. But the first alien life we discover is likely to be simple single-celled organisms. They grow, eat, excrete, and reproduce. So the real question is, what about more complex life? What, what are these things? Do I look like I know? Last thing I remember, I was ugh, in a cave looking at some wet egg and... Oh, that probably did it. I told you not to look at that egg! It, it was too wet! We do not know if we are the most intelligent life forms that exist in the universe. I know I have an IQ better than all of them. I guarantee you, my IQ is much higher than any of these people. Or if it's teeming with civilizations more advanced than our own. How come, how come I can understand you? Are you using some sort of neural language router? Actually, I'm speaking English, you f idiot. <laughs> our intergalactic neighbors might even be hostile. Welcome to Earth. That's what I call a close encounter. They could discover us tomorrow. We could discover them tomorrow. Or they might even be already observing us from afar. But to try and answer that would be faith and not science. Now, I think it's it's really interesting when you look at the, the notion of if we met an alien civilization, and this is all hypothetical at the moment, that they could be hostile. Because if you look at the history of humanity... We've not been very nice when we've explored and met no. other civilizations. And, and Stephen Hawking and was very clear when he said mm. this, that, and, and we have been certainly sending signals out. We've been broadcasting. We've had TV. We've had radio. We've mm. had podcasts. We've been sending all these signals out saying, here we are. You know, the Voyager space probe had little bits yeah. on them, and, you know, plaques saying exactly where we are in the solar system. So we, we don't know they're going to be friendly or not but what i think we can hope is that if a civilization has advanced to the point that it can actually explore space it would have had to have overcome a lot of hurdles a lot of hurdles that you know i talk about how space is beyond any one individual or any one country or business they would have had to do this this alien civilization so you would hope that they would be better 
than mm. us if they explored us. So you'd hope that it would be in good faith because we're just a part of something, we're a small part of something so massive that we can't comprehend. And you think you'd want to be working together to find out more of these answers and to understand what else is out there. It's quite a high-risk strategy, though, isn't it? It's hoping they'll be friendly. It's very high-risk. But, but, the, but the genie's out of the bottle already, isn't it? So, as you've already said, we're out there now. And um, if they have a similar way or an identical way of, of, of you know, communicating, it feels to me the things like radio waves and stuff, they're, they're not. They were discovered. They weren't invented, right? So I imagine other other potential civilizations may well be using something very similar the genie's already out the bottle what's interesting to me is clearly as you've mentioned in your little package about faith versus science what science needs to really establish things is it needs evidence yeah and with this kind of thing there is one thing that's the one thread that's run through all this whether we were thinking about it 150 years ago or whether we're thinking about it now or in the future is there's been an astonishing lack of evidence there's been absolutely zero evidence really in real terms that this has ever been anywhere else yeah. To any kind of level. It's not as though you know, you're finding, you know, crashed spacecraft from millions of years ago on Enceladus or, or, or on the moon or on Mars or whatever. No, there's no evidence at all, which I think when you think about how good scientists are at, you know, testing different hypotheses, looking in different areas, trying different things, it's actually quite odd that there's nothing at all. Well, the only evidence we've got is, is all of us, but... Yeah, exactly. The, the yeah. Mars, so there's this thing called planetary protection because we've got to... So when spacecraft have been to Jupiter, um, so the Galileo spacecraft, for example, scientists, when they'd finished using that spacecraft, finished operating it, this robotic spacecraft, they crashed it into Jupiter on purpose because they didn't want to potentially... Litter put, bugs? Yeah, no, well, that as well, but potentially... <laughs> um, no, they're not litter bugs, <laughs> but potentially contaminate Europa. Yeah, okay. Because if we've got these other worlds in our solar system and we need extraordinary evidence, it's such a profound question, we can't risk contaminating things. So mm. when we go to Mars, when we send more spacecraft there, we have to be really careful. And that's kind of what ruled out the Martian meteorite. It's probably more likely than not that there was life on Mars in the past, but we can't prove it just yet. But we've got to be really wary as we explore that we don't contaminate things. So it's step by step, step by step ferociously, mm. but step by step. And it feels like a long process. Mm. But it's really speeding up. And one person who knows a lot about this is the broadcaster and scientist Seth Shostak, who is a SETI scientist as well. And he believes it's not too far away until we answer this profound question. I figure that within two dozen years, the chances are not uh, not negligible. I think the chances are good that we will pick up a signal of some sort, either a radio wave or a flashing laser, that would tell us that somebody's at home in a nearby star system. That's interesting. But I'm cynical about it because I think, oh, scientists are always saying, oh, we're nearly there with something. We're on the cusp of a discovery because they want funding, right? Or is that unfair? That, that's kind of unfair because science okay. science is very different to a lot of things and it is a process. And, and it, you know, by pursuing, and it's a small amount of funding which goes on this compared to everything else, by pursuing these extraordinary questions, it, it, you know, we call it black sky or blue sky science. It, it brings other tangible benefits to life on Earth because we're advancing technology. But Seth is saying two, within two dozen years. Yeah. I mean, that's very, very close by. It is a case of when, not if. Okay. But that means you suggest, that means you are of the opinion that absolutely, without question, there, are, there is other life elsewhere. We haven't discovered it yet. Not, not absolute. So I'm not going <laughs> to okay. give you, I'm going to give you a scientist's answer. But, but you said when, not if, though. Yeah, when, not if. But we, you know, we, we, the evidence is looking pretty good. The evidence is looking in favour. It's just what will those aliens look like? It'll probably be what will they microbes. Look like? Well, it'll probably be microbes. Okay. And, and some microbial life or evidence of past microbial life. Yeah. But it's it's fascinating to think that, you know, we look like we've evolved to adapt in our 
climate and, and yeah. you think the dinosaurs were much bigger and, and if there was a bigger planet or, or more oxygen in the atmosphere or whatever they breathe. Because also we know life and life as we know it is, is carbon based, but it doesn't mean yeah. life elsewhere in the universe could be like that. And I think sometimes in science, we, we think we know a lot. In general, people, the lay person might assume science knows a lot, but we're only just beginning to explore. But I can tell you what they probably won't look like, or at least Seth can tell you what they probably don't look like. And that is kind of that Star Wars image of aliens and humans working together and all being similar sizes as well. Oh. I mean, the, the the classic example is the cantina scene in the first, I think it was the first Star Wars film, where you have a whole bunch of aliens sitting around in a bar, uh, a, a pub, if you will, listening to music. There's kind of a band playing and, they, you know, they're sharing drinks and all that kind of thing. Well, that's ridiculous. I mean, it, because the chances that the other civilizations in the galaxy, and let's assume there are some, are more or less the same level as we are is highly, highly improbable. So it would be like, you know, expecting to go to a, a local bar and find finding hippos and, and zebras and a few insects sitting around sharing a drink. I mean, you know, <laughs> we're, we're tens of millions of years different from those in terms of evolution. And I'm sure that we would be tens of millions of years different from any aliens in the neighborhood anyhow. So uh, this co- idea of cooperative agreement is... It's it's a fantasy in the same sense that, you know, gosh darn, those ants in my backyard are so industrious. I'm going to put them to work helping me con- construct this this series of condos here downtown. I like the fact that Seth seems genuinely annoyed that Star Wars wasn't more, more realistic. I know. He, <laughs> Seth is an incredible character. He's a yeah. really big figure in this kind of world. He's dedicated his life to Seth's Great searches. Stuff. And um, it's interesting that he mentions ants because... Um, this is the example of why aliens might not have actually made contact with us. If you were to walk past a colony of ants in the street, you're not really going to stop and have a chat with them, are you? No, they wouldn't say anything back, would they? Well, no, no, they wouldn't. But it's, it's the same analogy. We could right, just be yeah. like ants on a cosmic scale. Yeah, and cool. like an alien civilization might have seen us and gone straight past. We, we just don't know. And then there's this whole thing of communication. So we know um, dolphins, for example, are probably the next most intelligent species on the planet, second to us. Um, some would argue we are the least intelligent. <laughs> but it's a do- uh, dolphins are aliens on their own planet. And, and yeah. languages can be broken down into ones and zeros using an algorithm. And scientists can actually see whether a language is intelligent or not based on mathematics. Right. So we, we're trying to, there's actually groups of scientists which are trying to communicate with dolphins. Because if we can't even communicate with dolphins, how would mm. we communicate with an alien civilization? Yeah, the chances are that this is going to be even more complicated and the barriers are going to be bigger and the gaps are going to be even wider. But when, when I said earlier that there's absolutely zero evidence for any kind of extraterrestrial life, and you said, well, it's a matter of when, not if, do you mean that actually because we're seeing quite a lot of circumstantial evidence where perhaps life could have been means it leads you further towards believing that it will be found at some point. Is that what you mean? It's not a case of belief. It's a case of evidence and looking at the evidence right now. We've got a mission on Mars, Perseverance, a Perseverance rover that's main prerogative is to hunt for ancient ancient signs of alien life, although be it microbial. We are step by step getting that evidence together. And that's why so many in this community, this is not science fiction. And even looking at exoplanets, we're now able to use science to detect which of these could potentially be habitable so which are in the habitable zone of their star which means Mm. it's not too hot not too cold it's the goldilocks effect so to speak which might potentially have earth-like atmospheres which might have biomarkers technology is is increasing so exponentially that those within the field know that it's happening soon and we're, we're actually focusing missions on 
yeah. these questions instead of just doing it as a side thing to mission. So Perseverance is the first mission on Mars yeah. to be looking for ancient signs of life as its main objective. And so am I right in saying then if if the search of these exoplanets narrows to a point where we do find an Earth-like planet of a similar size in the Goldilocks zone, the next thing will be how do we get a technology to go there or observe it more closely at least yep. because the distances, as we said, are quite big. That's that's basically what the, the plan is. Yeah, there's, there's so many, but in the short term, it's going to be about focusing on life within our own solar system. Perhaps it is simple life, so mm. it's not as exciting, but it's still that, that new... It's exciting circle. to you guys. It's no, just no, not it's, as exciting it's, to the man on the street. Okay, it's saying. not as exciting, but... and also safer, just, isn't it? It is safer. <laughs> so just going back to like the... The communication, maths, everyone's a fan of maths. I love maths. Yeah. Um, the language not. of the universe. Yeah, it is the language yeah. of the universe. So maybe it's mathematics is, is the way that we can communicate. But I think now is the time in our program where we need to make the big decision. Yeah. Is aliens, is an idea of the intergalactic neighbour or an intergalactic neighbour, science fiction or science prediction? I personally believe that there is life beyond Earth. Absolutely. I, I think that, that the statistical probability of... Um, uh, of there not being life is really zero based on what we know now. You know, based on you know our understanding that planets planets are ubiquitous uh, phenomena, that Earth-like planets are you know extremely numerous in our own galaxy, um, that life has the um, uncanny ability to exist and take hold in the most unbelievable environments that 20 years ago we would have thought was impossible. Um, but we discover more things about life and how robust it is all the time. Um, so I, I think the statistical likelihood that, you know, we're alone in the universe is is really zero. That's Bill Diamond there, who is, of course, the CEO of SETI. And I think probably the most experienced person to actually answer that question of whether yeah. alien life is science, fact or fiction. And he's saying virtually zero. It's good enough to me. It's good enough for me. If, 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 if Bill Diamond in his position is saying that, then it becomes science prediction as far as I'm concerned, because it's, it seems to be just a matter of time, right? If we were making this program in 2036, would we be having the same conversation? Probably not. You could not. be sat here with an alien. Okay. I feel like I am sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> no, but do you know what I mean? The conversation would be different because things move on, things progress. But isn't, so, it, isn't it the most exciting time to be alive that all the humans that existed, you know, we're, we're living in a time when we can leave and we can begin to answer those questions. And isn't it yeah. exciting that potentially within our lifetime, within all of your lifetimes listening, that we could potentially discover mm. life beyond Earth, even if it is just very simple, mm. microbial life. Yeah. Isn't that exciting? It has huge ramifications. So for the layman like me, would I like it to be a really cool futuristic society and everything I imagine in a science fiction movie? Yes, I, I would, of course, because that would be amazing, provided they're friendly. Am I, as a layman, also excited by the idea of microbial life? Of course I am. It's still exciting. It's still an amazing scientific development. And for people over on your side of the fence, the scientists... Of course, it's, it's it's probably. Could you say it's probably the most? Imp- it would be the most important discovery in human history. It would change everything. Yeah, exactly, and that's and it doesn't get bigger than that. Thanks for listening to Where's My Jetpack. Join us next week for our final episode of the series, and it's a big one. That's right. We ask one of the definitive questions of our time: Where's my new planetary home? Where's my jetpack is a stack production presented by me, Sarah Credis, and Luke Moore. The production team is Charlie Morgan, Luke Moore and Sarah Credis. Our sound designer and editor is Tom Wally. Special thanks to today's guests, Bill Diamond and Seth Shostak. And if you like this show, please subscribe and rate wherever you listen to your podcast. It really makes a massive difference. 
Of course, you can find us on Twitter at Sarah Crudus and at Luke Aaron Moore. Where's My Jetpack is a Stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.